go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. And head over to chapter 3. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. But as you're turning there, let's just take a second to remember uh, just what we've been studying over the past several weeks on the, the Build series that we've been doing in the church. Uh, the first week we got to see that the organization of the church originates in the heart of God himself, and it gives us clarity about our identity in Christ. Then we looked at how each member of the church needs to be meaningfully connected to other members in the church in order to mature in Christ. And we considered the gift that God gives us each and every Sunday morning to gather together and to hear his truth proclaimed. And last week, we reminded that building God's church, it means multiplying and maturing disciples. And then today, we're going to look at one of the passages in the New Testament that speaks explicitly about the role of singing in the gathering of God's people. And what I hope to show us this morning, it should be right there on the top of your notes, our our main point, simply this, when God's gathered people sing gospel truth together, God is glorified and the church is edified. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we listen to his word. Lord, we say with the Apostle Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, eternal life. Lord, so that's what we're getting to consider this morning, getting to consider the words of eternal life. Lord, we're going to talk specifically about singing, Lord, but but we know that your word, whenever it's preached, Lord, it gives faith. Uh, Lord, so I pray that that this word, as it's communicated this morning, would encourage, it would equip, it would lift our eyes away from our circumstances and up to our Savior. Uh, Lord, so do this work. We, We look to you, God. We look to hear from you, Lord. Uh, Lord, so speak to us, we pray. In your name, amen. All right, well, back in June 2016, a report was published by the Babylon Bee, which, oh, good, which, because I was going to say, if you're unfamiliar with that organization, they are, as their website disclaims, your trusted source for Christian news satire, which, for anybody who still doesn't know what that means, it's just absurdly over-exaggerated and fictional, so just keep that in mind as I read this. Uh, The article reads this, multiple reports coming out of Free Grace Church of Albuquerque, New Mexico Sunday afternoon confirmed that local dad Kyle Davis is a terrible singer. Daddy really sings bad in church, noted Davis's six-year-old daughter Anna after Sunday's service. Loud, too, but mostly bad. I've listened to him singing in church my whole life, and he's still just as awful as ever, confirmed Davis's 12-year-old son Aaron adding that it must bug the people sitting around him. He's just shameless. He, he knows he's a horrible singer. He even jokes about it sometimes. But in church, it's like he doesn't even care. He still sings loud and proud, and he's always, like, really into it. He really must believe this stuff he's singing. <laughs> I, I won't name any names, but I have a very close friend who was the first person I thought of when I read this article. <laughs> because this person is also the first person I've ever met that's genuinely tone-deaf, uh, this person, he, he loves the Lord, he enthusiastically worships God, loud and proud, but he just cannot seem to do it in tune. He seems to have absolutely no control over the pitch of his vocal cords, and in a weird way, I kind of admire him. I mean, the concentration it must take to block out hundreds of other voices all simultaneously singing the same melody in unison, it, it's just awe-inspiring. <laughs> maybe you know one of these loud and proud shameless ones, or maybe you are one of them. 
in a room this size, I suspect we got one or two. <laughs> uh, we, we probably have some classically trained singers here. We probably have some who've sung in church or in college or in high school choirs. Or maybe the extent of your vocal experience came in that Christmas pageant you did in the third grade. But regardless of your training, I think this fictional article raises some good questions on the topic of congregational singing that I think God wants us to consider this morning. Questions like, why do we sing on Sundays? What is our singing together supposed to accomplish? Is singing something God expects every Christian to do? Or is it just for the experts or those shameless ones? And if Christians are supposed to sing, how can we make sure we're being faithful to utilize this gift, regardless of our vocal ability? It's my hope that God will use his word this morning to answer these questions and to give our church a fresh vision for our times of corporate singing. So before we look at, at the passage in Colossians 3, I, think, I thought it might be helpful just to back up a little bit and get some context for the book of Colossians, which was a letter that was written to this church by the Apostle Paul, uh, this church in Colossae. It's a small town in what's now known as modern-day Turkey. The Colossian church was a young church, apparently started by a man named Epaphras, as we see in chapter 1, verse 7, who had likely heard Paul preach in Ephesus before taking the gospel message back to his own native people in Colossae. We don't have evidence that Paul ever visited the Colossians, but in his letter to them, you can hear the pastoral care and interest he takes in this young church. You can hear his desire that they be strengthened in their understanding of the new life that they had received in Christ. In chapter 1, Paul lets them know he's thankful for them, that he's praying for them, and takes time to teach them of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, Paul assures them of the life they now have in Christ and encourages them to stand firm against the philosophical and doctrinal and sensual temptations that they will face from the outside world. As we get to chapter 3, we see him begin to instruct the Colossians to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in them and to set their minds on the things that are above. And then... Paul gives these young believers a list of ways they're meant to behave as members of the body of Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 3. And, and just listen to the corporate language Paul is using here. Remember, he's talking to a church, a church family, just like our church. Let's read in verse 12. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Paul is telling them how to live as Christian brothers and sisters. He's reminding them to be humble and patient with one another, to make sure that they bear with one another and forgive one another when there's conflict. He reminds them that they've been called to Christ to live together as one body, loving each other, living peacefully with one another, and letting thankfulness define how they live. It's almost like Paul saying, this is what we Christians do. This is the normal way of doing life together in Christ. And then Paul gets to verse 16. This is our text for this morning. So he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
I love the matter-of-fact way Paul inserts this expectation that Christians sing to one another. Right alongside all these other normal ways the body of Christ is intended to function together. By doing this, Paul, he's saying it's a normal thing for Christians to gather and sing together. And this isn't something that's a personal preference for Paul or something he just grabs out of thin air. All over the Bible, we find that God's gathered people, they make music and they sing. As early as the fourth chapter of Genesis, we're introduced to the man who created the harp and the flute. In Exodus 15, we find Moses leading the people in a song to the Lord to help them remember all that God did to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We see music played by musicians as integral parts of Israeli life. There was, a, there was singing in the temple. David played for Saul in the king's court. Singers even led the Israelite armies into battle. On one particular occasion, they sang, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. There are more than 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 direct commands to sing. Think about that. Think about something like Psalm 149.1. It says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. In fact, the book of Psalms, it's one of the largest books in the Bible, and it's a collection of 150 songs. And then even God himself sings. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, he will exult over you with singing. It's clear. Music comes straight from the heart of God, and he created his people to sing. So, if God has created his people to sing, and if Paul says it's normal for Christians to sing when they gather, then maybe the next question we might ask ourselves is, what are we supposed to sing? And I think verse 16 in Colossians, it, you know, it's become known as one of the primary teachings in the New Testament on singing in the gathered church. But this one little verse, it gives us several clues about what we should be singing together when we gather. And the first clue we might notice, it's kind of an obvious one, is right there in the middle of verse 16. It's where Paul says that they're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's been some debate over the years throughout church history about what Paul actually means by this list. Some commentators think that maybe it's talking about the authorship of the songs that we're supposed to sing, like maybe songs that are inspired by Scripture and songs that other people wrote that aren't inspired by Scripture and maybe spontaneous songs. Uh, Other guys have said that it refers to the history of when songs were written. So we've got... You know, the psalms could be the ancient or the timeless songs. The hymns might be more modern songs. Spiritual songs might be the future songs that haven't been written yet. Uh, or, or maybe it's the style or type of songs that we're supposed to sing. So the psalms might be more prayer songs. And hymns might be more didactic, theological songs. Spiritual songs may be more prophetic in nature. So there's been some, some debate about that. But whatever Paul means, I think we can be sure that at least he assumes that there's some level of variety in the songs that we sing. But another clue is found right at the beginning of verse 16. Paul tells, look, look at the book, Paul tells the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What, is, what does Paul mean by this phrase, word of Christ? Some theologians have taken that phrase to mean the words found in the Bible, suggesting that the church should only be permitted to sing songs composed of actual words of Scripture. Other church leaders over the years have taken an even stricter approach, a narrower approach, uh, allowing songs and their services that are only the teachings of Christ, literally the words that Jesus spoke. Uh, But I think there's another helpful text that we should consider in the New Testament where Paul uses the phrase, word of Christ, and that's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You don't have to turn there. Um, It's probably familiar to many of you. This is what it says. It says, so faith comes by hearing. 
and hearing through the word of Christ. So when you have some time, go back and look at, at Romans chapter 10 uh, and, and look at that, in, in con- that verse in context. But what Paul's talking about there in chapter 10 is uh, he's talking about proclaiming the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to the unbelieving world. And he seems to use the phrase word of Christ synonymously with the phrase good news and also the gospel. And you can see that when you read through chapter 10. So it's largely been accepted that what Paul is actually referring to here in Colossians 3 by the word of Christ is just another way of him saying the words written about the good news of the finished work of the, of the resurrected Christ to save sinners. Or more simply, he's saying, sing about the gospel of Christ. Bob Coughlin in his book, True Worshippers, I know Alan has, has talked about that book before. It's an excellent book if you haven't gotten a chance to read it, but it, it's written for church members to think about singing and, and what that's meant to be. So it's an excellent book, but he's got a quote in there by a guy named Everett Ferguson, and I think I have this in your notes, but it says this, Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it's expe- it is especially what God has done through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is in the life of Christ. Now that doesn't mean that every song that we sing has to be specifically about the atonement or have the word cross or Calvary in it. That's not what we're saying. There there are many songs that are worth singing that don't. There are songs of lament. There are songs of confession, songs that celebrate the attributes of God. In fact, earlier, Josh led us to sing the song, Forgiven which is a song that's a prayer, asking God to forgive us for the ways in which we have chosen to let wrong actions and wrong thinking in our relationships with one another come between our unity as believers. But it's not just our effort or resolve to put our differences behind us. We locate our forgiveness of one another in Christ. We sang this, through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. That's what I think Paul's trying to say here. I think he's saying that when Christians gather together on the Lord's day, the primary theme ringing through the songs they sing together is the song of the Savior. Or said another way, Christians never stray from singing the old, old story of how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Another clue is found in how Paul instructs these Christians to, about how Paul instructs these Christians to sing about the word of Christ. Let's look back at the beginning of verse 16 and just kind of focus in a little bit more. So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Think about that word, let. It's a potent little three-letter word, isn't it? Let, allow, grant permission, don't resist. Give priority. Remove all hindrances. Let the word of Christ. Let it do what? Get the next thing. Paul says, let it dwell in you. Dwell. That's a word with depth. It isn't shallow. Paul's saying, give the word time to steep. Let it settle down deep within you. Let it abide with you. Don't let it be an occasional visitor. Let it take up permanent residence in your soul and in your songs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And then he tells us how it's to dwell in us. He says it's to dwell richly, fully, thoroughly, completely, not in a bare minimum sort of way, not just going through the motions. The the gospel isn't supposed to be something we barely notice in our songs and in our gatherings. It's supposed to be identifiable, treasured, cherished, 
We should spare no expense in allowing the word to dwell among us. The gospel story, it's supposed to be celebrated generously and elaborately and joyfully with deep desire and full delight and rich feelings. Sometimes it just isn't enough to read about this story or recite this story or hear this story preached as wonderful and helpful as reading and reciting and preaching can be. John Piper says, singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. Singing helps us experience the intended effects of the gospel on our soul. It engages us. It helps us rejoice. It helps us remember. It activates our emotions and attaches truth to our affections. And as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly through song, we can literally feel our faith being furthered and firmed. Christians, you were created by God to sing. Singing gives him glory. So, so do you sing? When we gather here on Sundays, do you, do you let your voice sing songs together with us? If you don't, be encouraged by the Apostle Paul. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing. Because it gives God great glory and it's for your good. And then Paul goes on to say that singing it isn't supposed to be a solo act. Christians are supposed to sing together. And when we sing together, what we are doing, Paul says, if you look, keep looking in verse uh, 16, he says we are teaching and admonishing one another. And, and what that means literally, like the series we've been talking about, is that we're building one another up. Have you thought about that before? Think, think about the third verse in the song, All Creatures of Our God and King. So when we lift up our voices and we're singing that third verse together, we're singing, all the redeemed washed by his blood, come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. We're not just singing when we sing that. We're teaching one another. We're teaching one another to think rightly about ourselves. We're admonishing one another's souls to believe afresh in the goodness and grace of the gospel. We're saying to one another, one another, hey, hey, we are redeemed. It doesn't matter how you feel right now. If you're in Christ, you can come and you can rejoice in his great love right now. Whatever you did, it can't undo what Christ has done. You know why? Because Christ has defeated your every sin. Hallelujah. And guess what? He invites you to cast your burdens on him. So, so do that right now. And trust him and praise him. Praise him for his forgiveness and his grace. Praise him. Praise him, church. Praise him. That's what we're doing together. Our songs are meant to go vertically to God in worship, yes, to glorify him. But they're also meant to go horizontally to one another in love and encouragement and teaching as we sing, we are at the same time, we're giving God glory and we're edifying our brothers and sisters in the truths of Christ. And oh, how we need the people in this room to teach and admonish us. Because there are going to be Sundays, you're going to show up here having spent way too much time throughout the previous week letting the words of other false Christs dwell in you richly. Worrying too much about your finances or your figure or your friends or your future putting too much hope in your stocks and your savings or in eating salads or in specialists and surgeons. 
You're going to come here dwelling way too richly on comparing yourself to other people, other families, other moms, other, other friends who just seem to be crushing it at life, and all you seem to be doing is crashing and burning. On days like that, when those are the songs that are deafening your ears, you're going to need the rest of us to help you, to help tune your heart to sing His grace. You need to hear us singing when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within. Upward you look and see him there who made an end of all your sin. In those moments, you need to be here, gathered with God's people like Alan showed us last week. But you need to be here listening to us sing the truth of the gospel to your discouraged soul. You need us teaching and admonishing you to redirect your gaze to the word and worth of Christ. But this goes both ways. Because you don't know when I'm going to need your voice. Every one of us has a role to play in this meeting. And and you need to see yourself as a co-teacher, a co-admonisher, not simply a spectator. I can get kind of burnt out on all the worship to sports analogies that are out there, um, but it's just a really good analogy. Um, I, I got a chance to go, you know, my wife, my family, and I were from New Orleans, so I got a chance to go to the Superdome and watch the Saints play against the Washington Redskins, which is now the football team, right? Um, national football team, what do they got? Anyway, uh, so I got to go to see that game. It was an incredible game. It was a party in the Dome. Um, but I hadn't been in several years to the Dome, and they had these new screens. They were just these gigantic screens on both sides of the, of the Dome. And every third down, uh, these, these digital characters of some of the Saints players would jump up. Cam Jordan would get up there, and he's, he's like going like this. He's saying, come on, I can't hear you. He's doing all this stuff, like this gigantic Cam Jordan on the side of the Dome. Um, and the crowds respond, they're looking and, they're, and he's teaching and admonishing us at that moment. He's saying like, come on, let's, let's do something. So we're getting really loud in the dome. And, uh, and then if for some reason, um, the third play that the team, the offense of the other team, somehow it didn't work, uh, and, and they lost the down or we stopped them or whatever, then, um, what would, the, it's so funny that the whole dome would get rewarded with this, uh, these three words, it would say fan impact play. And so, and everybody would like go crazy, just like, yes, we did something. We impacted the play because we were loud. Um, and it was just so funny to me that that, uh, that, that happened. But it, it just made me think, like, that's what I want to see happening on Sundays. Fan impact, please. It's not only the responsibility of the worship leader or the worship team members or, or the pastors to lead the church in passionate times of worship and singing. You can start those babies right from your seat. And you should. That's totally appropriate. From time to time, the worship leaders, and Josh talked about it this morning, will come to the time, uh, and, and, excuse me, will come to the time uh, at the end of a song and will leave some space, some musical space for us to just kind of linger and wait on the Lord. We're not doing that because we forgot what's supposed to happen next. <laughs> what we're doing is we're, we're leaving space for mutual edification. And, and we're giving you time to consider, how can I edify my brothers and sisters around me right now? Maybe you, you lift your hands up to the Lord, or you bow down to your knees in reverence. Fan impact play. Maybe you lift a shout of praise to the Lord with an exclamation about his greatness or his worth. Or maybe you might say something like, Lord, I love you, or thank you for your grace. You just say that out loud to the Lord. 
Or, or maybe you repeat a line from the song we just finished singing. Or what if, what if you let a song spontaneously well up out of the depths of your soul? It doesn't have to be a musical composition. Just a simple, we praise you, Jesus. Or you are good, oh God. Just something simple like that. Or maybe you begin to pray and you ask the Lord to give you a prophetic impression that he might have you share with the church. And think about this. What if your initiative to shout or sing or pray in any of those ways is the very thing that encourages your brothers and sisters around you to do the same? And then before we know it, the whole church is crying out in passionate praise to God and the spirit of God begins to move in this place. Fan impact play. It takes each of us just wonder what it would be like for more of us to be engaged in those moments. wonder what times of spirit ministry we are missing out on because we haven't taken seriously the responsibility to teach and admonish one another. And while I'm on this point, I just want to say a quick word about uh, the end of the service. You know, we have an opportunity every week that we're, that we're trying to, um, to give to you guys uh, where we have a, a team of folks who are our prayer team and they have committed themselves to coming uh, down to the, the front of the, the room here at the close of the service and spending time praying for any needs that might be out there. Uh, they're, they're doing their fan impact play. They're, they're saying, I, I want to pray. I want to minister. I want to teach. I want to admonish. And they're not doing that through song. They're doing that through prayer. That's another way that we can be receiving ministry and edification and God can be receiving glory from us. So you know, make use of that. If you haven't made use of that, these guys, they, they are eager. They want to pray with you. So come, share what's going on in your life. Share struggles that you're having. Let them pray for you. Receive ministry. Well, just in case we might be tempted to think that all this singing stuff is for all the touchy-feely music people out there, uh, I think Paul says that our singing edifies one another. Not, I don't think he says this. He does say this. Paul says that our singing edifies one another. We teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. You see that it, how it says that after there? In all wisdom. So I think what that helps us to, to know is that our goal is not emotionalism. We're not singing to try to feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We're singing to grow in our knowledge of God. We want our songs to influence the way we think about God in this world and sin and, and one another. We want them to strengthen songs, to strengthen our discernment. We want our songs to literally make us wise. So when we're selecting songs for us to sing on Sunday mornings, uh, we don't start with what's popular these days. That's not necessarily because we don't like these songs or that they're terrible songs. I mean, that could be the case for some of them. Uh, but what we're doing, we're, we want to look for songs that accurately and faithfully represent the wisdom of God's word and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we need the gospel on a weekly basis. We need to remind ourselves of it so it can shape and reshape our thinking Sunday after Sunday, making us wise. And not to mention, there are a lot of little kiddos sitting out here among us who also benefit from this sort of gospel culture, gospel rhythm. So can I talk to the kids for a second specifically? Kiddos, can y'all look up at, at me for a second? I just want to talk to you for just a moment. So when you guys are here, kids, on Sunday mornings, do you ever get home and mom, mom says, or mom or dad says, hey, what'd you learn on Sunday? What'd you learn at church today? Does mom or dad ever say that to you? You can say yes or no. Yeah? They, no? Okay. Well, moms and dads, we can start doing that. Um, <laughs> that was good. I like that. Um, do you find that it's hard? So the guys who do have moms and dads are asking that question. Do you find it hard sometimes to remember something to say? 
Like that, it's kind of hard to say, like, I don't remember what I, well, do you know moms and dads do that too? <laughs> we also sometimes can't remember what we learned at church on Sundays. Um, next time, you could do this, don't do it disrespectfully, but you can say, what'd you learn at church today, mom and dad? Um, so you can ask them, it'd be a good conversation. But can I give you guys, you kids, can I give you a hint for how you can remember something from Sunday morning? Did you know that the songs that we're singing together, that they're all teaching us about Jesus? what he's like and what he loves and what he's done for us and how we're supposed to love and obey him. So at the end of the message today, all you kiddos, we're going to sing a couple more songs. And I want to challenge you. I want you to listen to the song that we sing, the songs that we sing at the end. And if you know how to read, I want you to look up at the screen and, and try to read the words, Read what we're singing, and then listen to the other kids and adults around you. Listen to what they're singing, and if you can, pick up on the melody. Pick up on what they're singing and try to mimic it. Try to sing along with them. Kid, you, get, you kids are so good at picking up little songs like that uh, and melodies and remembering them. So sometimes the adults have trouble with that, but you kids are really good at that. So read the words. Try to sing along. Try to participate with us. We want you to sing with us when we're gathered. This is not just for the adults. This is for you guys as well. So kids, sing with us. And then what I want you to do is try to, try to pay attention to one thing in one song and remember that. It could be a sentence or it can be a phrase or even just a couple words. And then when you get home later and mom and dad says, so what'd you, what'd you remember from church? What'd you learn at church today? Sing that song back to them. Sing that phrase back to them. And I, I bet you they'll be really impressed that you paid attention. So can y'all do that today? When mom and dad ask you, try to, try to remember to sing something, Okay. Singing, it's just, it's just such a powerful tool. It's why we use it to teach our kids ABCs or memory verses or nursery rhymes. I don't know about you, but there, there are songs that for the life of me, I can't understand how they're still in my head. I, it could be a song I haven't heard in decades, but I'll be sitting in a restaurant or watching a commercial and that song comes on and the lyrics to that song, it's like they're almost instantaneously and without effort recalled to my mind. I mean, I have trouble remembering the words that I just practiced with the worship team. I could be literally staring at the chord chart to the song and sing the wrong words. But man, if that Boys to Men song comes on, I'm like, let's don't wait till the water runs dry. It's like, what? music is just powerful. I told you a little bit about myself, sorry. Um, if you grew up in church, you probably can't remember most, if any, of the sermons that were preached. But I guarantee you can recall the songs that you sang, at least parts of them. And if those songs were worth singing, aren't they still serving your souls on a regular basis? That's what we want. I heard one worship leader say, I want to pick songs that our church members can take with them all the way to glory. Amen. We don't need to sing fluff and emotional Christianese filler language. Because I know for some of you here this morning, life is painfully difficult. Some of you are drowning in depression. Some of you are getting your butt kicked by temptation and sin. Others of you, you have a faith tank that's nearly empty. You don't need worship leaders giving you hype. You need hope. You need to be reminded. Think about that word. Literally, have your mind retrained by the wisdom of God's word. That that hope that you need, it's available to you. This morning, right now, in Christ, church, the, hurt, the hurting and the hopeless among us, they need us to sing to them, to sing for them. 
They need to hear the wisdom of God washing over their weary and wandering hearts. They need to look around. They need to see your faith-filled face reminding them, reminding them that God is gracious and sufficient and sovereign over them. That he offers forgiveness for their sins through his son Jesus and a life of hope and peace. They need, us to, they need to hear us singing lines like, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Or, or lines like, you are faithful, God, you are faithful. Or songs like we sang this morning, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Let's be a church filled with members who teach and admonish one another in all wisdom as we sing. There's one more clue about singing that Paul gives us in our text. Let's keep looking. He tells the Colossians, the end of verse 16, to sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Every church is going to have a stylistic center for their songs. Every church is going to have some of its members who are inevitably not in the majority of that stylistic center. What that means is that at some point, we'll probably do songs that aren't your preference. We'll do songs in a style maybe that doesn't make sense to you, or songs that you've never heard before, or maybe we won't do that popular song that every other church in the evangelical world seems to be doing. And that may be because the song's not worth doing, or it may be that they're just better songs that we are choosing to sing. And we can realistically only do a limited number of songs together. We sing maybe four or five songs together every Sunday, and we've got 52 weeks in a year, so that's about 200 songs that we get to sing as a gathered church together. So we want to make every one of those songs count for all the reasons that we've been talking about this morning. We want to find songs that are filled with the word of Christ, that are going to help us teach and admonish one another in wisdom and and the worth of Christ. Songs that glorify God and songs that edify one another. But I understand if you you grew up in another church, a different church than Sovereign Grace, if uh, if you grew up with a church that had a different musical style than we have here or with a different database of songs than what's normal here at SGC, I realize singing can be a challenge on Sundays. You want to sing, but there are very real challenges to your participation. So I just want you guys to know, like, we, we know that as worship leaders. That's something that we're not unaware of. And in fact, we, we've actually just recently been talking about how can we be better at that? Uh, how can we make sure that we are maximizing the vocal participation of each and every member on Sunday mornings? We want you to be able to sing with us. Uh, so that's our desire. We're gonna pray for us because we, we want to do better in that category. Uh, but what does Paul mean here when he says, to sing with thankfulness in your hearts. Certainly, he means that we should sing with thankfulness for the work that Christ has done for us. We should definitely sing because of that and sing thankfully. But I think what Paul might also mean is that we should be thankful for our times of singing together, that there should be thankfulness for this time, thankfulness for the songs that we're singing. He might say, you know, don't, don't focus on what you don't have. Don't be greedy or covetous of others. Be thankful. Because when we're singing a song that you're not very familiar with, or if we aren't singing songs that you'd rather us be singing, and you choose to attempt to sing anyway, because you can read the words on the screen, and you can believe the content of those words in your heart, I just want you to know you are pleasing God 
And you're serving those around you. Thank, thank you for doing that. If you're an older believer here this morning, and we don't sing the songs that you grew up singing, but you come faithfully and you, you read the words to these newer songs, or you, you listen to us having messed up the lyric, messed up the melodies to the songs that you did know, and we're singing them all different. Um, but you do your best anyway, and you add your voice to the songs that we sing to God. I saw, I looked around, I made a point this morning just to look around, and I saw several of you older believers, and you were engaged in singing. And these weren't songs that were written centuries ago, or even like 50 years ago. These were songs that are, some were written last year. And you're faithfully contributing your voice to our gathering. Thank you. And if you're a young person here, and you just wish we'd do a song written in this century, for goodness sake... But you don't let that keep you from participating joyfully and with thankfulness in your heart. You are obeying God's word. Thank you. Actually, what you're doing, you're, you're teaching and admonishing the rest of us. Because by singing songs that aren't your preference, you're saying to the rest of us that God is more worthy than you getting your way. That others are more important than yourself. So thank you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for deferring for the sake of others who might be receiving ministry from that very song you don't prefer. And like I said, pray for us as worship leaders. Pray that we'll discover and employ the most theologically rich, congregationally engaging, musically well-crafted songs and sing them as often as we can so we can help them to become as familiar as possible for as many of us as we're able. That's our desire. Or hey, maybe run a fan impact play and come talk to one of the worship leaders after the service because you know of some songs that we aren't singing here and they might be good songs for us to consider. We'd love to hear that. Or let us know that you'd like to sing or play an instrument or be part of the prayer team. Uh, yeah, we, we, we want to be taught and admonished together, and you guys can help us to do that. But Paul says, just to recap, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Because when God's gathered people sing gospel truth together. God is glorified and the church is edified. Let's stand. Let's stand together and pray. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that is in your word. Thank you for the correction that's in your word. Lord, thank you for the confidence you give us as we understand correctly your word. Um, Lord, thank you for compelling us, I hope, this morning, compelling us to want to be faithful, to use the gift of singing and song and music for your glory, Lord, and for our mutual edification, Lord. And so as we close here um, with a direct application, Lord, we get to directly apply what we just heard by singing together by reminding ourselves of what's true. Lord, would you be glorified, Lord, and would you edify us through one another? We pray, Lord. We love you, God. We love your word. We're thankful for the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that, that doesn't know this gospel, Lord, would you, as we sing, Lord, would you wash over them with your gospel truth? Lord, wash over them with your love. Lord, Lord, invite them to respond to the gospel, even as we sing. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.